welcome. I'm Erin Cuthbert, footballer for Chelsea and the Scotland national team, and you're listening to the Blue Day podcast. Fellow Chelsea supporters, the Blue Day podcast are proud to welcome this individual on the show today. He made 34 appearances for the club, scoring 11 goals. Plus, he played with the likes of Graham Stewart, Eddie Newton and Frank Sinclair. Here is Mick Harford. Mick, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? No, really kind of you. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, really looking forward to sharing a few uh, few of my memories uh, such a long time ago, I'll do well to remember them in all fairness. <laughs> it's great to have you on the show nonetheless, but before we sort of discuss your time at Chelsea, I would like you to take us back to the early days of your career. In fact, you know, when you was in younger, did you have any influences when it came to deciding to become a professional footballer? Well, basically, you want to go back to the beginning. I was, I was always, a, I played local football in Sunderland for years upon years and, uh, Played at, a, played at a very famous club in Sunderland called Lampton Street Boys who always produced young players. Uh, there was myself and four of us got a chance, an opportunity uh, to go down to Lincoln City. Uh, we were given one-year contracts uh, and from then it, it just went on. The, the beauty of going to Lincoln City for me was it was managed by Graham Taylor and he had a lot of uh, experienced players there who went on to have great careers and who'd already had good careers and a big influence on my career, uh, starting off, you know, and uh, I, I knew I knew the ropes when I when I went into a professional football club. I knew I knew what the apprentices did. I knew what it was all about because I'd I'd had a couple of trials here and there, and I was a plumber for three years, and I knew I knew you had to do the hard work, and I do I knew you had to do the shitty jobs and all that, you know. So I knew I knew how hard it was and how tough it was to become a footballer in any in any, and and. And getting on in any walk of life, uh, but I think I think uh, going to Lincoln City was a master springboard for me, and uh, was a great experience. And who were your idols growing up as a youngster? Well, being a Sunderland fan, uh, that was my team. I still am a Sunderland fan, and I, I followed them uh, when I was a young kid. When I was fourteen, fifteen, I I stopped playing football, and I, I went for two for eighteen months. I think it was. Till I got invited back, I stopped playing football and followed Sunderland home and away. Uh, I had loads of idols in, in Sunderland Football Club, but I was a I was a big football fan countrywide. Uh, you know, I used to look at the big clubs and envy them and envy the players, and I would love for them to be at Sunderland. But the players are the players who are my my heroes were the likes of uh, Colin Todd, Vic Allen, Billy Hughes, Dennis Stewart. You know, Bobby Kerr that era when we won the. When Sunderland won the cup in 1973, uh, I was 14 years old then, and that was my first time I'd ever made a visit to London to see Sunderland win the cup and beat Leeds. And oh, wow. uh, I know, uh, I know Leeds and Chelsea are, are big, big rivals, you know. So because uh, that, that cup final in the 72, I think it was a year before. Uh, it goes down Chelsea Leeds in 1970, yeah. Yeah, that one. It goes down in history. That one does. Uh, for, for not the right reasons, but it's a great watch when you see all the clips back. 
Yes, it's certainly so, especially with the amount of slide challenges and uh, <laughs> tackles from behind and punches as well. But uh, just want to sort of fast track now to the summer of 92, when you did sign for Chelsea from Luton for a fee of around £300,000. How did this move come about for you? Well, I, I was at Luton. I did well in, in the uh, in the final season. I was at Luton. I scored a few goals. Luton, Luton unfortunately, got relegated last year, that year, back into the Championship, which was Division 2. And it was the formative year of the Premier League. Mm. Uh, and, and Luton wanted to sell me. I think they, they saw me, they could make some money on me, and they wanted to sell me. And uh, I mean, I have a great affinity at Luton. I, I love the football club. And it was unfortunate that I, I had to leave in terms of they needed money, and I, I was the one they needed to sell. Uh, to, to go through the story in terms of how it happened and how I got to sign for Chelsea, I met uh, I met Gwyn Williams uh, at Heathrow Airport. I'll never forget it. Uh, at the Holiday Inn at Heathrow Airport, and uh, we were together on our own, and we we thrashed out the contract ourselves. There was no agents involved, and. I, I, I made my mind up after speaking to Gwyn that I was going to sign for Chelsea. I actually had a meeting the same afternoon in Luton with Howard Kendall, who was then the Everton manager. So after my meeting with Gwyn, I then travelled back, back to Luton and, and met Gwyn, uh, met Howard Kendall. And he was very, very impressive. Uh, very tried, tried to persuade me to, to sign for Everton and I'd made my mind up uh, after what I'd been told and and the uh, and and the plan for for going forward with with Chelsea, uh, one of the big pulls was Ian Porterfield, the manager of Chelsea, and obviously he was one of my heroes also in that uh, seventy three cup final, and and working and working again with Don Howe. Now Don Howe was a magnificent coach, a magnificent man, and he had a fantastic reputation as a coach. I worked with him whilst I played with England. And to, to work with Don again, it was it was unbelievable. For those that perhaps are not aware of who Don Howe is, what was Don Howe like as a coach and as a man? Because a lot mm. of sort of ex-players that I've spoken to can't speak highly enough of the gentleman. Well, Don Don's an iconic coach and an iconic manager in in football in the in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. You know, he was he was so infectious. He was he was unbelievable. He was. He was so much attention to detail, and he was just a—he was just fantastic on the training ground. The enthusiasm he showed on a daily basis was was incredible, and it it, it fed the players, and it, it made you want to go into training. And and, and he, he was just really, really top coach and uh, and a top man. And uh, he was he was a real good, real good for me. He was excellent for me, and he he taught me a lot whilst I was at Chelsea. And you mentioned Ian Porterfield. Do you remember the first conversations you had with him about signing for Chelsea and what he had plans for you going forward? Well, of course, yeah, yeah. You I mean you, you remember those days when you when you meet your heroes and uh, you see I wasn't disappointed when I met Ian Porterfield. He was a, he was a real nice guy, real good guy. Uh, I know he leaned on Don a hell of a lot in, for experience and uh, for to, as he was learning. Uh, sorry to learn from Don and stuff and all that, you know, and he was just a good man-to-man manager, you know, he was he had great great management skills in, in terms of being around the players, speaking to the players, and he, he just told me, look, he said, Mick, you're coming into a good squad, which he, he, he was coming into a good squad, uh, I want you to just to, to be yourself, to try and impress, to try and 
try and get in the team because it would be hard for you. I mean, there was there was some good players there, and I was I was getting on a little bit at the time, you know. And it was it was a really really good squad, and it was just a really impressive first meeting with with Ian Porterfield and Don Howe. It was a, an exciting one for me because I'd always always wanted to play in the capital, always wanted to play in London, play football in London. I thought it was exciting. And what was your first impression of your new teammates at first day of training? Well, I was I was very impressed. You know, there's some fantastic players. Uh, you, you start with you start with Andy Townsend, hmm. uh, Tony Cascarino, Graeme Rousseau, uh, Steve Clark. I mean, uh, may not Ken, Ken Moncow. And there's lots of players. And, and there was a younger element who was in there who who were going to go on after. Once I got to know them all, I knew they were going to kick on and be fantastic players, i.e. Eddie Newton, Frank Sinclair, Graeme Stewart, David Lee, Craig Burley, all of, the, all of the youngest set of players who were there. And it was just a really, really good mix of experience and youth. And uh, I, I thought we had a real good team. You know, we, you got the likes of Wisey and Vinnie Jones and all, all those players. You know, then, then I think in pre-season, I think we signed... Uh, we signed Dimitri Karin, who was a, who was a fantastic goalkeeper, and we signed Robert Fleck. Mm. So the, uh, the 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 squad was enhanced even further when when I arrived. So it was a it was all it looked all all a good it looked a great squad to to try and have, have a have a great first season in the Premiership. Folks, we interrupt this show by I wanted to tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped. We are delighted Manscaped are part of the Blue Day podcast. They have the tools for your family jewels. You don't want smelly nuts. You want to impress your wife, your girlfriend, or in fact your mistress. Well, look no further than Manscaped. Yes, folks, Manscaped are back. The best in male grooming. Manscaped are committed to helping men around the world walk and talk with some swagger this season with the best grooming tools on the market. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and enjoy this exclusive offer. 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code BDP. That's Blue Day Podcast. Promo code BDP at manscaped.com. Don't neglect your beautiful self and get right this year with Manscaped. With this offer, you will get the slickest version of the Performance Package 4.0, the perfect package that will deal with your package. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0, equipped with skin-safe technology to minimise nicks and cuts for your nuts. It also comes with the Crop Reviver Groin Spray. I can tell you from experience, this has taken my confidence into the bedroom to a whole new level. Not only do I smell good, but it also helps out in terms of the bedroom department as well. Want something you don't mind showing that's special someone in your life? Look no further than the Manscaped Boxers 2.0. These are without a doubt the best boxers for men of all ages. I can confidently say I'll never go back to cotton boxer briefs after wearing these. Once again, folks, Manscaped supports the Blue Day podcast so much that they provide an an exclusive offer for our listeners. That is you, by the way. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code BDP at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com use the code BDP feel like yourself again and take charge of your life with Manscaped 
your balls will thank you for it. When you saw the other strikers at the club, and you've mentioned a Robert Fleck as well that, that was brought in, did you sort of feel a little bit concerned about your place or was you sort of looking at the pressure and looking to thrive on it, but sort of trying to get that place in the side? Because Chelsea at that time were playing two up top as well. So was it sort of an issue for you thinking the amount of sort of attacking talent in the squad or was you sort of quite calm about the situation? Uh, it's, uh, you, I think competition is very, very healthy for places, and that's what you want. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to be complacent and think you're going to play every week, uh, and that leads you to training better. You know, the the better you train, I mean, if you train well, you get picked in the team. Obviously, when you get in the team, you got you got to do well. I was fortunate enough to be given a start, and I uh, I thought I did well. Uh, but there were some good players around. You know, some good forward players. And, we, and whilst I was there, we signed Johnny Spencer as well, you know. So the competition was really, really healthy. And in all fairness, I mean, it's, we, we got on really, really well with each other and uh, really enjoyed the challenge. And if someone was left out one week, you, you knew you'd get another, an opportunity somewhere along the line. And what, what, you, what you've got to do as a footballer, when that opportunity comes along, you've got to be ready and you've got to take it. Now, the 92-93 season... 30 years ago, the inaugural Premier League season began and you made your debut for Chelsea against Oldham in yes. August of 92. Do you remember your debut well? I, I, I remember it vividly, yeah, especially, <laughs> especially the goal I scored because it wasn't a typical goal that I would score, you know, a 25-yard half volley and I was really chuffed for that one. And uh, So no, it was a, it was a, it was a great kick. As I said earlier, it's, I loved playing in the capital. Mm. Even when I was playing against other teams, I... I wanted to be part of that scene and that, you know, and, and that vibe and the atmosphere that the the uh, Stamford Bridge was was amazing and I loved playing there. Uh and, and and the game, the game, the game didn't go away. We drew one each. We, yeah. we scored a late equaliser. And uh it was just one of those days where I think we dominated for long periods of the time. And we we deserved more from that game. But we went on and we, we went on in that season, had a good start of the season. Because I was going to say as well, if anybody was sort of looking at a quiz question, if they wanted to sort of have a teaser for their for their friends and ask who's the first player to score a Premier League goal, that would be you. Because you was the first Chelsea ever goal scorer in the Premier League era. Not a bad stat to have. Yeah, it's a nice stat to have, but I think, uh, I think people... Uh... I think people forget that there was football before the Premier League. Come on, and that, that is true. Yes, there, there was a lot of there was a lot of absolutely brilliant centre forwards who played for Chelsea down the years who who were better players than me and uh, deserve better praise than me. The likes of Peter Osgood and other players like that, you know, who were, who were real, real legends and that. And I got the utmost respect for them. But but the Premier League did start in '92, and I was just pleased to get the first goal. Uh, it's something which which. I normally bring up at times with my mates and all that. And uh, do you know? Do you know? Uh, do you know? Score the first goal for Chelsea in the Premier League? And they go, "No, I haven't got a clue." So <laughs> some, even some of my mates don't even know that. You know, so it's good to it, keep it reminded of. Question. though. that is good. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned about Chelsea's start to, to that season; it weren't too bad. And for, for you personally, in I think when I looked at the research, in nine games you scored five goals, which is which is quite a good. 
achievement in that. It's, it did seem that you were settling into your new surroundings, bearing in mind that you came from Luton to London. As you said, you always wanted to play in London. This, this must have been good for your confidence going forward as well. Yeah, it's it's always good. It's always good to get off to a good start. And, and one of my, I mean, I, I had a few clubs. I moved around a little bit. One of my first, what I'd call principles of, of what I wanted to do when I went to a football club was was try and impress on the players and try and impress on the manager and the coaches. And I wanted them to think I was a good player. So I, I was always very diligent in training. I always worked hard. I always try and do the right things. And I was a real, real good trainer, and I always believe if you, if you, if you're a good trainer, you'll take that onto the pitch. So yeah, I think I think I had a good pre-season uh, with Luton uh, while we're away, and uh, I was fit and ready to go. But uh, to start in the Premier League like that and get, I, I didn't realise that there was five goals after nine games. I didn't realise that, which was a good start, and uh, <clears throat> I was really pleased with that. And uh, it, it was it was no surprise to me that the the team was playing well and doing well because of the squad we had. We had a, we had a great squad, in my opinion. And you scored winning goals against Ipswich and one of your former clubs, Newcastle, at Stamford Bridge. What was Stamford Bridge like to play in, in terms of atmosphere? Because the ground is a lot different to what it is now. Well, it's an absolutely fantastic stadium now, and to go there, to go there is amazing and all that. And they. Uh, Believe it or not, I will be down there next next week when they play Lille because you know Luton play Chelsea in the FA Cup now. Yes. So, uh, so we we got a, we got a game on our hands there. So we will do a little bit of scouting down there. But it's it's an unbelievable stadium now, and the way things have changed in football is is incredible. But it's a, it was an iconic stadium, you know, the Shed End and all that, you know, and the big the big West Stand was amazing. It's obviously a lot more compact and a lot more atmospheric now. Uh, but the, the fans were always there. They were always behind you. They always, always got behind you, especially in the shed end. And it was a, it was a great, great place to play. And I guess because of the start you did have and how you played, did you feel the support of the supporters, so to speak, in regards to yourself as a new signing? Absolutely. And what what I also found that they got behind myself. And I mean, we did have a, we did have a. A lot of younger players in and out of the team, <clears throat> excuse me, and they always, always got behind the, the homegrown players and that, you know, because they knew I knew and the rest of the squad knew that they were going to be good players and the support they got was uh, was amazing. But now they were great to me and uh, they, they got behind me and gave me great support. Now, in 1993, the second half of the season, Chelsea's fortunes began to change a little for the worst. We lost to Crystal Palace in the League Cup in the latter stages, and we lost to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Looking back on it now, why do you believe the team's results just suddenly went in a downward spiral, really? Because at the start of the season, we were looking OK. We've got some good results against some of the top teams. And then after sort of January, it just faltered completely. In your opinion, sort of looking back now, why do you sort of believe that was the case? Was there something sort of not gelling in, in the team? Was there so, certain issues in the squad at all? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a long time to go back and, and, and try and, uh, and tell you why I, I believe it went wrong. Obviously, there, there was, was reasons that things started to go poorly after after the new year, but maybe, I mean, it was a loss of form and 
in, in the long run, the manager paid for his job in the end. Mm. Uh, and that loss of form could have been like injury, suspensions. I know at one stage I was injured and uh, I did my calf and I was out for a while, but I think that was a, a bit later on. So, you know, injury, suspensions over the new year, uh, things like that would, would definitely play a, a part in that. Uh, but I can't really put my finger on it why why there was a complete loss of form and the results weren't as good as they should have been. Because, as I've said earlier, the squad was strong, the squad was big and we should have picked up better results than that. So, I mean, I, I believe that the, the blame lays were, were sometimes with the players at times and that, you know, but they, they was there was never a uh, there was never a revolt or any or any any backlash about the manager or the coaching or whatever. I just it was just a just a coincidence or a loss of form or whatever. You know, I just can't put my finger on it. Well, I was going to say that sort of ties into my next question because the, you know the term "lost the dressing room" is quite common now in, in football these days, but. Do you believe that was the case for Ian Porterfield because he did ultimately lose his job in the latter stages of that season? No, absolutely not. No, he's a good man. He was well liked by everyone. He was a great guy. Uh, he's very, very popular. He come in. He was very enthusiastic. And I, I just believe, in terms of what he did, in terms of bringing Don Howe as his number two, it was a masterstroke. But the results weren't great. Uh, you know, well, football is that kind of business. If you don't get results, well, you'll lose your job. And I think everyone in football understands that and knows that. And uh, Ian, Ian Porterfield was, was part of that process. And they, they pulled the trigger on Ian and uh, moved him out and brought in David Webb as, as, the, uh, as the caretaker manager. Yeah, David Webb came in sort of around about the March time as well. What were your thoughts on the decision to bring in David Webb as Ian's successor? Well, we all knew it was short term. Mm. Uh, we all knew it was short term. He told us it was short term. Uh, he knew he was only a, a caretaker manager. Uh, he came in, he worked us really, really hard in all fairness. The training was a different kind of training. There was a lot more running in it, a lot more physicality in it. Uh, and after a while, I mean, I had a meeting with him and he, he said to me, he said, Mick, uh, he said, so I like you in training, I like what you do and all that, but you won't play for Chelsea again. And I still, to this day, don't understand why. Why I never played for Chelsea again after after David Webb came in. I was in. I was partly injured. I had a calf strain. I never forget. And uh, I, I was, I was totally shocked and bemused, and still don't understand why now. Well, it, I was going to talk about it because it's it's something that when I was doing my research, it sort of dawned on me that you didn't or leave in the summer. You actually left before the season finished. You joined Sunderland for around £250,000. And I was, yeah, my question was going to be, what was the reasoning behind this move? And was you perhaps unhappy at the club? But as you just sort of mentioned there, there didn't seem to be any unhappiness at all. You was told... No, no. no that... I love the club. I love playing for the club. I, mm. I couldn't wait to get fit and get back in the team. I was... I mean, I'm not, I'm not conceited, but I was the top goal scorer. And I said to David... Yes, she was at the time, yes, yeah. yeah. What are you on about? I said, I'm the, I'm the top goal scorer. I've scored the most goals. I've, I've played every game when I've been fit. And he, he just said, well, that's that's what's coming from, from other people. I went, OK. So when you hear that, he just said, well, come on, you, you get me out of here then, basically. Uh, and I moved to Sunderland, my boyhood club. I didn't want to leave, in all fairness. I didn't want to leave, I... I'd a, I'd a, then we had a, 
as I said, we had a great squad. I had made great friends there. We, I mean, uh, Vinny become a good friend of mine. Andy Townsend, good friends. Dennis Wise, made great, great, great. And so, you know, when I when I look back at my Chelsea days, <clears throat> and I still speak to the likes of Graham Stewart and David Lee and all those boys if I see them, you know, we had we had a brilliant camaraderie and a spirit down there. Uh, in the afternoons, myself, Eddie, Eddie Nedvitsky, would go out in the afternoon with the young players and practice our techniques and that, you know, hours upon hours upon hours. And then that's why I knew they were going to be good players because firstly, they trained, firstly, they trained properly. And secondly, they had good technique and they wanted to work hard. And then those, those lads, those four or five lads who used to go out two or three times in the afternoon went on to have great careers. And I was really, I really chuffed for them. And I'm, I'm glad they had really, really fantastic careers. And I, I just, I just don't know why, why, why I was told I would never play for Chelsea again. No idea. Was there no conversations between you and Ken Bates at all as to why this move was going to materialise? And what was the feedback from your teammates? As you mentioned, you know, Dennis Wise, David Lee, Vinnie Jones, Andy Townsend. They must have been surprised as well as yourself on this decision. Well, I've got to be honest with you. I never spoke to anyone about it. I just. Uh, when it's time to go, it's time to go. You know, you, in those days, it wasn't a long, drawn-out process of a agent upon agent and this and stuff and all that, you know. You, you, you have boots will travel, you know, and that's what it was. And uh, I, I left. I left and went to Sunderland. And, I mean, I kept in touch with Vinny and all that, you know, and I said, I mean, Vinny is a good friend of mine, still is. And we, we met up again at Wimbledon further down the line, you know, and... and in my, in my playing career, uh, so it was just really bizarre, and I find it, I found it really bizarre, and I was I was I was a bit devastated, really. Now we've touched on sort of your time at Chelsea. I want to sort of talk about more of the current events, and we did speak a little bit about it before recording. Um, some people still not a fan of it. Other people have sort of leaned towards how it has impacted on football. But Mick, I just want to get your thoughts on VAR. And whether or not you're a fan of it, or if there's something that you would change from it, what would it be? So, what are your thoughts overall on VAR? Well, it's it's part of the process of football. I don't know moving forward. I think, and uh, I think with the money that's involved in it and the crucial decisions that are sometimes have got wrong, uh, I think I think that's a good thing, uh, just for the crucial decisions, i.e. Goal line technology, I think it's it's crucial that you know if you score a goal, when you deserve to deserve to get the goal. Obviously, I I, I watched the game the other day. It was uh, Liverpool versus uh, Cardiff, and I and I think I think I felt a bit for the smaller club because I think the the VAR and the people who do that they're frightened to give decisions against the big clubs. I really do. Uh, some of those decisions which look totally blatant are not given against the big clubs especially when the big clubs are at home. Uh, but overall, overall, it's it served the purpose. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's it's something which I never thought you'd ever see in football. I, I I I worked for about eighteen months with the Premier League doing doing the delegate work, and I used to uh, I used to assess the referees, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, Whilst I was in between jobs about five, about six or seven years ago, and I really enjoyed it, and I and I come down to the bridge quite a few times, and the hospitality was brilliant and all that, you know. But but 
when I did the job, I thought the referees, the majority of the referees were absolutely brilliant. And the decision making was absolutely spot on. The odd one here and there, which 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 gets exposed really and everyone blows it out of proportion. But overall, I, I just thought the referee and some of the refereeing was excellent. Excellent. And but VAR is, will serve its purpose. Based on that, do you believe in uh, in hindsight, looking at the referees, that they do get a bit of a bad rep from supporters and managers when, say, for example, a decision doesn't go their way and then they may be over-reliant on VAR? Do you feel that the referees are getting a little bit of a bad stick of it from other people? No, not really. I think I think this is not new, you know. This is not new. Players going at referees. Players have been going at referees for donkey years, you know. I just think I just think the referees in our day, in my day when we played, had a bit more of a personality, and they could right. they could converse with the players and have, have, interact with the players. I'm I'm not sure their interaction is great with the players, how they've been taught or what they've been taught to do. But I just thought I thought sometimes we we had a had a, a decent players, a decent relationship with with referees, and I, I don't really see that very often. So. Down the years, fans, managers, players, coaches have all had a go at referees and it will continue forever and ever. I'm absolutely certain of that. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that and it'll just be a case of the same old thing. Yeah, yeah, well, 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 everyone, I mean, it's we've got a game tonight and I'm, I'm sure I'll be giving the ref a bit of stick tonight, you know, when we play <laughs> Barnsley tonight. <laughs> big game, big game. <laughs> In terms of Chelsea in 2022, at the moment they're training for the Club World Championships that is happening this week. But just want to sort of get quickly on your thoughts on Chelsea now. They're current European champions, faltering a little bit in the Premier League, although they're still third. But what's your thoughts on Thomas Tuchel and the Chelsea squad of 2022? I always look out for Chelsea results. I I was proud to be a Chelsea player and playing on that pitch where all the all the greats have played Hudson and Osgood and all those players, you know what I mean, to mention a few. So I always look out for the results. And I know they've had a bit of a dip at the moment. I've got to be honest with you, I was really shocked when Frank got the sack. Totally shocked. I didn't think I didn't think he deserved the sack. Uh, I think he's grown into becoming a very, very good manager and I wish him all the best at Everton and I'm sure he'll do well. Tuchel come in and the ups, ups had an absolute amazing impact, absolutely amazing impact on 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 the on the whole club, and they obviously won the the Champions League and that you know. Then then they have they had the start of the season well enough. I mean, in close competition with the top three, who I believe Liverpool, Man City, and Chelsea top three, but they've just fallen away a little bit, a loss of form, and it's a bit like you said to me earlier. Before Ian Porterfield got the sack, why, why have they lost form? I don't know. I, I still think I still think Tuchel has got total control of the dressing room, total control of the players, and I I, I can't understand why because they, they've got a hell of a squad. Uh, but but I'm sure they'll rebound and come back again. And just finally, Mick, how do you look back on your Chelsea career? Albeit it wasn't for a, a full season, but you certainly did make an impact at Chelsea in, in the early 90s? I'm really, really fond and I'm so happy I had the opportunity to play for Chelsea because it's, because it's a massive, massive club. I mean, one of the biggest clubs in the world, in my opinion. Just to, just to have the opportunity to play for Chelsea, albeit it was only for three quarters of a season, 
and 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 to hold a record like that, which will which will never be beaten, it's 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 an amazing feat, and I'm really really proud of it, and I'm really chuffed that I uh, that I had the opportunity and given the opportunity to to to, to play for Chelsea. Really fond memories. Uh, still speak to a lot of the people down there. I still get my Christmas hamper every year, which, uh, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, and still in contact with, with, with a lot of the players and, 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 and the people who worked at the football club. So it, it was a brilliant experience for me, one I'll never, ever forget. Well, that's great. And Mick, I appreciate your time on the show. You're looking well. And ironically, obviously, Luton are playing Chelsea in the FA Cup in a couple of weeks, so that'll be interesting where your allegiances lie. But I've got a feeling, I think I know which team you're going to be rooting for more. Well, we're going to make it tough for Chelsea. They've got to come down to Kenilworth Road on a Tuesday or Wednesday evening and the place will be rocking. There'll, be, there'll, be, there'll only be 10,000 in there, but they'll be making much noise as any football ground in the country. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's just a massive challenge we look forward to. Obviously, we played Chelsea last year when there was no fans there. Uh, it was sad for our fans, and uh, that they wouldn't. I mean, they couldn't get down to watch the game. So it's going to be. It's a massive occasion for us. You know, we're playing the European champions at home in the FA Cup in the fifth round, and what more can you ask for? So challenge, looking forward to. Superb. Well, Mick, thank you very much for your time today, and again, hopefully, we'll see you down at the bridge quite soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Keith.